Global Sport Matters presents, in collaboration with Columbia University Sports Management, the Sports Professors Podcast, where Professors Kenneth Shropshire and Scott Rosner discuss the 101 on what happened in sports business. Hello and welcome to the Sports Professors Podcast. I'm Scott Rosner, the Program Director and a Professor at Columbia University's Sports Management Program, along with Ken Shropshire, the CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University, easy for me to say. How you doing this morning, Ken? Yeah, I thought you were going to say the Global Sport Asylum or something. I don't know where you're <laughs> your long pause on that. Hey, hey I, I'm not casting aspersions on anything that, uh, <laughs> you know, some of the folks who you work with maybe, you know, might be saying that, but certainly not me. Uh, it's only the late uh, uh, Mr. McNair who made such references to to institutions and who's running what. Yeah, that, that yeah, is that's right. for another day. We won't go go on. We'll let him rest in peace <laughs> for for now. <laughs> so, what, what's caught your eye in the last uh, bit in the business of sports, Ken? You know what? I'm I'm still and and please don't tune out when I say this. I'm still focused on this athletes and vaccinations issue. And I'm sure you, you saw, Scott, I mean, the, the, the most interesting data point is the NHL saying that 99% of their players will be vaccinated by the time the league gets underway, which, which trumped the NFL's announcement. I think 93 or 94% of their players are vaccinated. So it's, so it's gone from a space where they weren't, athletes weren't great role models and then there's still some outliers yeah. in the commentary about what, what they're doing to this 99% number, which I think is just incredible. But, and the WNBA in the same vein, right? And the WNBA has gone through its season with essentially its entire player pool uh, fully vaccinated. The so, WNBA, once again, claiming that, that rightfully their, their title is the, the most organized, uh, effective, uh, focused league and athletes, man, maybe in the world. No, no question. No question. So, um, so what caught your eye specifically about the NHL out of curiosity? Well, just, just the way they did it. And, and they, you know, if you, if you read the background on it, and I haven't talked to anybody directly there, just kind of read the press on it, that they were very forthright in saying, this is what you need to do. And, and by the way, as you and I know, and, and uh, our, our listeners probably know, this was one of those rare moments where it seemed like the union and management were in lockstep saying, this is what we're going to do. And, and on so many issues, that's what it seems to take in sport. And, and you, you see, for example, example uh, in the NFL, you don't see that kind of unity. You see a lot of hedging and a lot of the determination to say, well, but in the end, if, if, uh, if and certainly this is, this is important, if you have religious or health reasons, it, it, it's okay. And it's an individual right as well. Kind of the, 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 the third element is the one that, that gives the players enough uh, enough of a, a hole to say, I don't have enough information uh, or to not be responsive in, in whatever way they choose. So, so that's what I think is unique about it. it it's, you know, I, again, I give, just gave a lot of credit to the WNBA. The NHL seems to be doing some things right in terms of this management labor coming together on some important issues. Yeah. And remember, they also crush it on the bubble. 
season as well. I mean, they, they really did a tremendous job um, in two different locations. The two, the two uh, bubble situation, the right? The two bubble, yeah. So they had the dual bubble going on and, you know, much more complicated because of the Canadian uh, contingency of teams and much more cross-border travel, whereas in the NBA, it's only the Raptors and uh, in the NHL, you know, they went so far as to have the all-Canadian division. Um, you know, just a much, much greater team representation. So it just makes it more complicated. Right. Um, you know, the other part that caught my eye on the vaccination front while we're talking about that is uh, the number of assistant coaches that we're starting to see who are leaving their positions, being dismissed, generally speaking, because they're not fully vaccinated, they're not complying. Uh, we're, we're seeing a number of uh, uh, front office folks in the Washington Nationals organization uh, as well. Uh, who are uh, who have either been dismissed uh, or are leaving their positions because they have not complied? Uh, and remember, that's for our listeners. That's a different story. We're talking, you know, management side on here, not unionized. Um, you know, and whether contract or employee at will, the team, generally speaking, is going to have the right to do that um, based on certain contractual language. Um, and you know, much different than the unionized workplace. Uh, where, you know, those things, you know, will, will need to be addressed by the union and, and collectively bargained over uh, to a degree or at least some kind of meeting of the minds between union and management. So, so really interesting on, on those fronts. Um, what else has caught your eye, Ken? You know, the, the, the testimony that, that took place. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, that, that's on a, uh, I don't know, I want to say a sadder note, but, you know, I think the, you know, the, the vaccination news is is uplifting that there's some focus and, and players are, are, are showing some leadership. This is certainly a, a, a great leadership moment by Simone Biles and, and, and others testifying before Congress about the FBI's handling of the Nasser abuse case. Uh, but but just just a, a sad moment relived. I, I think that, that that's really why, um, you know, why I, why I raise it. Uh, did you get a chance to? I, I did. It's heartbreaking. It really is. I mean, you know, and to see the, I guess, abdication of responsibility would be one way to put it, just a complete botching of this by the FBI. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, for eight months, right? The, 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 this, you know, that they knew um, and, and took that long to investigate. And so during that time frame, you know, more, more um, you know, perpetrating of, um, you know, of this heinous activity and behavior by Nasser and these poor, poor young girls going through all of this, um, you know, and, you know, it was, it really was, I, I think I can think of no other word other than heartbreaking uh, yeah. to, to watch them go through it and to hear them talk about it. And Ali Raisman and Michaela Maroney, um, you know, and others. And, it, you know, it's, it's tough to watch, quite honestly. You know, and so there should be a full-fledged, in my mind, independent investigation of, of what happened. Um, it was a little disconcerting, I guess, um, would be the, would be my my word of choice on this one as to why the Department of Justice wasn't there. I mean, there, there could be all sorts of reasons, of course, uh, why they weren't in attendance. But the DOJ, um, you would think, would have at least had representation there. Of course, this is going to lead to the Department of Justice investigation of me for something, uh, for criticizing the DOJ, <laughs> right? Um, no, but in all seriousness, Ken, you know, they, they, why weren't they there? Yeah, no, that that I don't, I don't know. And I'll tell you, you know, part of my backstory thinking on this, serving on the, the the board of USA Volleyball and doing some other stuff with the Olympic movement, I've, I've had to be safe sport certified 
So you have to take a whole safe sport uh, exam and do this training. And one of the things, and for those who don't know, safe sport is the, uh, is the enterprise that, that's been set up to really look out for these issues, uh, to guard against them happening again, and to also give you guidance on how to report when you get knowledge of these information as, as kind of an adult in the Olympic movement. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, the one thing, you, the one rule you learn in taking the test that, you know, you got to pass the test to be certified is that the, the correct answer is report to the authorities as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Don't try to discern yourself. Don't try to intervene yourself uh, unless you have the opportunity to, to do so. Um, again, and whenever I think about that, I end up thinking about the, the Penn State, you know, lack of intervention that, that took place with Sandusky there, which is, is a whole another trail of this, you know, kind of disgusting space. But but with this happening, as you know, as I was watching this, the idea that people did go to the authorities, the, the FBI, and then action didn't take place. So so it really is a, you know, it takes these moments to get movement to happen. And you, you saw the, the current FBI director who wasn't the director when this occurred, you know, sort of implying heads will roll and, and that sort of thing. But it's, it's just, just sad. It's just sad that the, this is, the system is designed now to deal with this in a timely fashion. But this, this does raise that moment of, will it work the next time uh, as well? Could, could yeah. you have the same problem again? Yeah, I mean, this, you know, the the whole like notion of something like this slipping through the cracks, you know, generously referring to it as that, um, it it just uh, it's mind boggling in 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 so many ways. So what else? I mean, you know, as we turn the page, let's turn the page to some happier topics, if you will. Um, and so. Sports gambling opening weekend. And <laughs> I mean, how are you gonna be happy about that? It depends on who you. I, I mean, it was a good weekend. It was. A, uh, yeah, I'm just saying. Did you get your five thousand dollars from Caesar or whatever? That that commercial is is. I, you know, I got my fifty bucks from DraftKings because you know taking the the plus seventy three in the Tampa Bay Dallas game, they were giving it away, right? Why not? I'm gonna give it back to them many times over. They know that. Yeah, so what's interesting, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, is how much the lingo of gambling is now part of the culture. And if you're going to watch a sporting event now, you need to understand uh, what the over-under is. You have to understand uh, how odds work. Uh, and, and you also have to understand, don't be fooled, what this free money is from these different uh, gambling enterprises that... that this is the oldest trick in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, this no. is this is customer acquisition cost, my friend. I still want to be on the board of DraftKings, but let me let me tell you, I can see, I can see through what you guys are setting up. The idea that that once you, well, you know, it, not making the direct correlation, but you know, uh, there are those drug dealers that give you a little taste. <laughs> <laughs> You keep coming back. So, so, you know, I would argue about the legality of, uh, of those activities. But, yes, I mean, certainly the same get your hooks in. Right. Uh, and there's so much competition in that space right now. And as all the states open up, I mean, Arizona, um, you know, getting into into the fray. Right. As well uh, across the country, opening weekend. 
sports gambling up the number of transactions. So not the handle, but the number of transactions as per uh, some monitoring services. Handle, ladies and gentlemen, being the amount of money. Amount of money that is bet. So this is the amount of bets that were made uh, up uh, over 120% nationwide. Uh, 120%. So for those of you who are mathematically challenged, that's a doubling plus some, right? Plus 20%. So, uh, you know, that is uh, remarkable uh, to me uh, that the year over increase could be, could be so significant Um, and so much more competition in the space. And, uh, you know, with, uh, with kind of seemingly, you know, every day uh, a new player added in a new space. So, uh, you know, look, depending on how the state structured it in some states, it's, it'll be a boon for their, uh, for their, for their tax revenues. Uh, in others, it will, it will be much less. Uh, but I, I think it was really interesting and it really is kind of just part and parcel of, uh, every broadcast now. And, and, you know, it's so funny how things have changed in five years, right? right. You went from running away from it, uh, you know, to the, you know, with PASPA, uh, the Supreme court decision in PASPA, uh, case that it winds up, you know, just being a part of the, the lingua franca of, uh, of sports at this point. Look at you, lingua, lingua franca. You like that? <laughs> it teaches you some stuff up there in New York, man. <laughs> you know, the one, one other uh, uh, downer uh, a piece that I want to add to your piece of happy news. Why, why you got to bring us down? We're, not, we're, we're now trending up. Now you're going to take us well, back. No, no, okay. you know, and it, and I, I don't want us to lose sight of this and for people to think about this. Okay, Debbie Downer, go ahead. <laughs> no, who is it that's likely to be hurt by this? Oh, well, these things we're are so regressive, Ken. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very fair point. We can joke around about all the gambling and who's winning and who's losing, but I think you make a great point. Uh, and, and, and I, I want to hear you, hear you out on this. I know we're no, it, it is, you know... Uh, you know, who buys lottery tickets? Who, who, who thinks this is going to be their, their ship coming home? Who thinks this is going to be the, the big moment? And, and some people will have success, but you know, the, the point is not everybody should gamble. Not everybody should certainly gamble beyond their means. And that's what this makes it easier to do. Now, I don't know how much value there is, and I'm waiting for our academic colleagues at UNLV and places where they really look at these issues closely to tell us what's going on. How many people are now engaging in this activity um, that weren't formally? And that, because there is this, this nuance of uh, people were gambling in illegal locations and kind of, you know, with the bookie and otherwise. So they, some, not all, some have transferred their dollars from the illegal, illegal system to this, this now legal gambling system. So, you know, just as we see, um, uh, at, at casinos, the, the, you know, I've been to a casino before. There, there are these signs everywhere. You know, if you have a problem with gambling, call this number. And just as we see the, the, the beverage companies saying, you know, drink responsibly, uh, this is a whole space that, that I think is, is this great increase occurs. We're going to get more demands to, to address these issues for people, especially in these, in these you know, terrible economic times as people uh, think, and maybe we are, we're coming out of a pandemic, getting back to work and otherwise getting themselves together financially. Well, here's a, you know, what's it called? A a get rich quick scheme that you can get uh, $5,000 or $50 to to get yourself in the game. And, And then when that cranks through, 
then do you go into your own pocket in a way that you shouldn't and, and you end up in bad shape? Yeah. You know, the other piece of all of this, the education piece that you mentioned is something that is, seems to be part of, of many pieces, if not all of the legislation, just requiring those who, uh, those operators who uh, are licensed by the state to make sure that they are, uh, you know, providing uh, the educational piece and, you know, concerned about, about problem gambling, uh, you know, things of that nature. So uh, it's there, you know, my bigger question from an academic standpoint is how effective it is. Is, is this just window dressing? Um, and I'm not aware of any great studies to talk about this yet. Um, you know, but I'm sure that uh, some of our, our academic uh, friends uh, are hard at work on this as well. They should be. I think it is a really interesting and important public policy conversation that needs to be held. It's great for the revenue, but let's let's not forget about those who will be swept up by the problematic side of all of this. Good. I'm glad I was able to bring you down a little bit, Scott, from your uh, uh, upscale topic. So so what what uh, what big, big topic do you, you want to? get into this week? What's, what's the big issue in sport that two professors that think about this deeply should delve into? Yeah. So there were a couple of things that, that, that grabbed me, you know, and we could go either direction on, on this talking about uh, that baseball uh, and the NFL and their attempt to grab young, younger audiences by some of the things that they're doing. Uh, or we could go the different direction of uh, another, uh, suit involving is something that I didn't think we would see much of going forward. Uh, but a, a judge in St. Louis that denied the NFL and the Rams uh, request to dismiss the relocation lawsuit regarding the, the relocation uh, of the Rams from St. Louis to, to back to your hometown of Los Angeles. And, and the court claimed that the, the NFL broke its own relocation rules that were established decades ago uh, to avoid antitrust liability, encourage teams to stay in their home cities. And the, the suit alleges that the Rams moved to LA uh, back five years ago now, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but in 2016 was a breach of contract uh, fraud involved in legal enrichment, interference, uh, tortious interference in business by the Rams and the NFL, which then caused significant public financial loss. Uh, and we've looked at these things for a long time, Ken, um, you know, and it all seems great now with huge crowds at, at SoFi and, and a legion in, in Vegas. Um, but what, what are the history of, of some of these actions? Well, you know, it is a, a long uh, kind of sordid history in, in some ways. It, most often people will begin with Al Davis and, and the Raiders and their eventual move to Los Angeles. It, and and it, it is kind of the, the, the oldest sports big money grab game in, in the world in terms of owners capitalize on a moment to make greater income, both by moving into a new location where attendance almost automatically increases. There's a honeymoon period for about five years or so. Um, and then also to get a new venue, just, just the more attractive place, the attention you get by being there. And, and part of the way this has occurred, uh, and again, the Al Davis model, is by having the leverage to either have your current location build a new facility or to be out there and be courted by cities that, that want a team. And, and we, you know, we certainly throw into the mix um, the Las Vegas element, which you, you mentioned with Allegiant for the Raiders moving from Oakland to Las Vegas under that scenario. I just described the Raiders are the, uh, 
the, the champions of this. I mean, the, the earlier move I was talking about from Oakland to Los Angeles was in, in the 1980s. Yeah, 1981, right? Yeah. And, and it was uh, to, and, and, you know, again, we, there's a lot of hate to, to Al Davis on, on, on why he did it and what was supposed to happen and why he ultimately left there and went back to Oakland was because the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum Commission didn't make, or on Al's standpoint, the changes they said they were going to make to to the Coliseum. So he goes back. And it really played, it really played the game well. We yeah. Talk about- oh, extraordinarily well. Look, I mean, I mean, look, Ken, you wrote a book on this, right? In, in the sports franchise game, which came out when, like 95, 96, right? Um, you know, the first move occurred in 81. There was litigation between the Raiders and the NFL for uh, for so long that, you know, when the when they moved, I was 11 years old and I worked on part of this case. We did together. Right. Is is part of this, uh, uh, you know, there's some derivative litigation that came out of uh, came out of the original litigation uh, as a young lawyer. Right. So this went on for sorry, maybe our listeners aren't aware of this. This litigation went on for a really long time. Uh, and there seems to be this whole whole cohort of uh, now middle aged lawyers like myself and and uh, and you can that, that worked on, you know, some aspect of this case. So so many years ago. And, and, and think about it, too. I mean, the other important element is in this to you know how divisive have leagues been in the past amongst owners, how much allegiance has there been or how much separation, Al Davis sued the national football league and owner sued the national football league in order to be able to, to move and, and was joined in, in that action uh, by the LA Memorial Coliseum commission, eventually you know, kind of set up as a, as a party plaintiff. <laughs> eventually he then kind of cuts bait with them too. I mean, Al Davis was, was ruthless in this whole thing too, because of the value of the facility and the, the type of lease that you have, if you have a lease is so important in the bottom line numbers of, of owners. So, so this, this idea of uh, another LA franchise, the, the Rams moving initially from the Coliseum, they leave. And that's what set up that initial move by the Raiders down to Los Angeles. They moved down to Anaheim uh, could never really get what they wanted there and have this great opportunity in St. Louis And then L.A. becomes this vacant location where greater revenues, not in Anaheim, but in the city. And this think about this is a place they left, you know, four or five decades ago. Yeah. They go back because the opportunity and the lawsuit that you mentioned by all these entities that are related to to St. Louis and sports revenue. They're like, wait a minute, you you left us. And we lose money as a result of you leaving. And we, we want to get, get paid. And, and you say it was a, a surprise in some ways that we're seeing this, this type of stuff again, because what had started to happen was that the leagues all figured out they need to come up with a formula, a relocation formula for dollars that should be paid by the team leaving a location and taking a new, new location, which essentially is some version of the value of the, the location uh, given up, subtracted from the value of the new location. And you pay that into the league because they won't be able to expand to that location uh, as a result. And, and a lot deeper negotiation. <laughs> but what the equation doesn't take into account is, is the city scorned and the other parties that are left behind. And that's really what this lawsuit begins to look at was, wait a minute, we don't care that as a business transaction, you figured out league where a team can go. You're leaving us high and dry. We built the stadium. We did all this stuff. 
and you said you'd be here and, and, and now you're not. So, so it's, it's really interesting to see that. And then in the midst of all this, to begin to think again, that look, we're getting into this cycle time-wise where teams across leagues are going to be looking for new venues. These venues, uh, you know, the, the idea historically that, and, and now the, the, the remaining grand dame of them all is, is the LA Memorial Coliseum where you still see uh, NFL teams uh, in, engaging. Now where you see college teams engaging, but the facility still exists. But there's really not the Soldier Field, the the the, the Cotton Bowl, kind of the glamorous places are, are all gone. And the reason they're gone is because they were outdated. You couldn't get the dollars that you needed to get. You don't have anything near the technology that you have in, in SoFi and Allegiant and, and these new facilities. And then today, Scott, you mentioned we have another big announcement in a, in a different sport of, of a facility. In, Inglewood is... is you say Inglewood is no good. Inglewood is that's where it's all happening now. You got you got my days working in the snack bar and sitting out a park in Inglewood. No way could we have imagined that it could be the the you know the the Lakers didn't even play in Inglewood when I was a kid. Now everybody, I mean the forum didn't exist, which it doesn't exist anymore. Now everybody's there. Inglewood is the place. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So the Clippers announcing uh, hours ago, really at this point, that uh, they will be relocating. The ground the groundbreaking is is going on. Uh, in the, they have a, a, a two decade plus naming rights partnership that was just announced with Intuit. Uh, the new facility for the Clippers will be known as the Intuit Dome. Uh, they will be relocating in 20 out of Staples Center in 2025. So they're staying in market. So this is an intra market move. Yeah. Um, so 2025 upon expiration of their lease with, uh, with Staples Center, and they're going to have a home of their own. Uh, cost right now, this is, you know, what their planned cost is, is about $2 billion. So if you're, if you're keeping score at home, uh, you know, with, with the acquisition costs, uh, for the team and the, you know, the, uh, and the, and the purchase price of the old, of the old forum, which was a necessity, uh, Steve Ballmer had to purchase the forum, uh, which was ironically owned by Madison square garden company from James Dolan. He did that to end litigation, uh, that Dolan had, uh, was pursuing to block the movement of, uh, or to block the construction of the, uh, of anything on the, the Inglewood site. Um, and, uh, you know, and everything else associated. So right now you're looking at about $4 billion, uh, all in for the Clippers, uh, into, and their, and their new building. Steve Ballmer has it. Like we're not crying for Steve, Ballmer, <laughs> right. Um, very little public money. Uh, being put into this right now, that's a change in California is a little bit different uh, in that respect than the other 49 states. Uh, but, you know, really it's, you know, it's going to be a transformative moment as moving into a new facility always is. Um, we've heard some really cool things on the inside about the facility uh, itself, both in terms of its tech, in terms of uh, the seating configuration of the bowl. Uh, Balmer talking about uh, really wanting fans in their seats uh, as much as possible, as opposed to just enjoying the overall experience. So construction in that respect, there's uh, a bit of an homage to 
uh, to to Cameron Indoor uh, Stadium, the home of the, the Duke Blue Devils, uh, with a, their student section and how the how part of the facility is constructed. Uh, in addition to European football uh, as well, it's kind of the wall of fans right. uh, that you see at places like Borussia Dortmund in Germany. So uh, very cool, uh, you know, yet another great new facility coming online, but at a, at a big price point in in your old stomping grounds, Ken. Yeah, and you know it's. As you're saying that, I mean, I think the other thing we should raise is how much of this is private money these days, as mm. opposed to the big, the big push, the kind of the, the stadium game I was, was talking about, about leveraging, leveraging cities. It's not the same number that, that we was in the past. I mean, in the, in the past, I mean, you know, in, in we saw it in, in Philadelphia, for example, uh, the, the payment for the facilities for the Eagles and um, the Phillies was a, a third by the city, a third by the state, and a third private. That at least was the structure that was originally planned. You don't hear those kinds of deals anymore. And it, and it used to be, you know, frankly, 100% would be paid for with, with public money if you go back even further than that. We, we've got one uh, one ongoing saga, too, just to make sure we bring in, in all the sports with hockey, with the Coyotes down in, in Arizona. And the idea of them moving in suburbs that people don't know unless you're in the area uh, from Glendale uh, to Tempe and the discussions there and via an RFP actually from the city of Tempe that the, the coyotes uh, apparently have stepped up and said, yeah, we want to build a new facility, but we'll see what the numbers are in terms of who's going to pay for what the coyotes again have a billionaire owner. So I imagine a substantial amount would be uh, paid by them. But but even in that little demographic, their part of the play is people are more likely to come. And in, in hockey, the live gate is much more important than um, the other sports we've been, been talking about. Um, but people are more likely to come to games in Tempe than they are to go out to, to Glendale, which as I've lived down there, I've learned that uh, I may never see unless I go to, to a sporting event. So, uh, so it's, it's all over this, this movement is, is starting to happen again. It's, it's one of these things that that's cyclical. And I think this, the cycle is, um, is ticking up. So we'll be looking at this issue a bit more, but just a, a big convergence of events to, to see, uh, those two fabulous facilities, the, the, uh, Allegiant and, and, uh, SoFi, uh, which were just, you know, beyond the imagination, right. In terms of, yeah of the bells and whistles and, and, and the size. Uh, and now these others are coming up in this announcement of the, the Intuit Dome, um, which looks incredible um, in, in terms of, of what it's going to be. And, and to know that you've got uh, the guy who can put whatever he wants to in it, who under, understands technology, but this will certainly be the market maker in terms of what facilities will look like. No question. And, you know, we talk about what's past this prologue. And you've got other teams in other leagues also down the road looking for it. It's, you know, it's, it's at different stages of the process. Uh, but in baseball, the, the Oakland Athletics, who've had a long, long stadium saga, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, who still have another five years or so left on their lease after this season. Uh, I think it expires in 2027. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have kind of gone through fits and starts in, in attempts to get their new building uh, put up. So you, you do see this and it's where, and I think you're right, Ken, as the 
you know, the last generation of these deals to be struck in the, in the mid nineties and later, um, you know, those lease terms are starting to come to an end. So what's the next one look like? Is it just a renovation? Is it a full attempt at relocation? Um, and, and I'm sure there are many more coming down the pike, um, you know, that are still in much earlier stages. Yeah. And, and, and think about it in the, in the earlier sessions of uh, musical, musical chairs, there were, a good number of venues that were still open in terms of cities looking for, for franchises. I mean, you know, Vegas is just about full up. I mean, there's still, you know, still an opportunity in, in, in the NBA and, you know, who knows what will happen there. You know, will Montreal all of a sudden look desirable again um, after the, 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 you know, field experiment, frankly, of the, of the expos, what else is, is going to be? Cause you need another location to leverage yourself fully whatever you can get from governmental dollars in, in terms of, of payment contribution to the facility. And in, in some of these older venues, that's where we're really going to see the pressure. And, and that's, you know, as you said, th- this is exactly uh, what the A's are going through now. Okay. If you're not going to pay up, we'll find somebody who will. And, and Vegas, you know, Vegas, baby, Vegas is big. Yeah. You know, it, that's right. You know, and, and obviously market size matters more in certain sports than others. And the facility you play in and the ability for the facility to generate revenue, while important in all sports, uh, plays a much part, larger part of the mix in, in other sports. So, you know, think about in baseball for our listeners who aren't, um, you, you know, who, who aren't really up to speed on all this. The you, know, you play 81 home games, so the facility in which you play um, is really, really important in terms of the overall revenue generation mix. And the same thing in, in hockey and, and in basketball, and just the way the leagues all work. Um, you know, your facility needs to be able to kind of generate the revenues that uh, that uh, that allows the the franchise to uh, you know to kind of maintain its competitive space both on and off the field or ice or court. In the NFL, it's it's important, but it's a lot less important than it is in the other sports, just given the heft of the overall uh, NFL media deals that are brought in and the central revenues and the way that the NFL shares its revenues uh, is a little bit different than the other leagues because they also kick in a big portion of the gate. Uh, about a third of the gate in the in the NFL is shared uh, between the home teams each week and the road teams each week across the league. So it's just a, it's a bit different, and you start getting into the nuances of it. But uh, it's very very challenging, suffice it to say, for uh, for teams in uh, in the NFL. I'm sorry, for teams in Major League Baseball uh, and 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 in the NHL in particular to to thrive with unless they have a uh, you know a real kind of state of the art revenue generating building, right. Right. Well, uh, Scott, as we close out, what what are you what are you looking at for uh, the coming week? What kinds of sports stories? I mean, you mentioned the the whole idea of Nickelodeon and yeah, yeah, the idea of these leagues trying to get to, to youth in sports. What, what what is going on there? What what? Is there yeah, going? so that's what I'm keeping my eye on, and something we'll talk about in our in our next podcast. The Two things I'm looking at from the different leagues of this juncture. So Major League Baseball uh, just signed up uh, 11 TikTokers, uh, influencers, to uh, to kind of really try to engage younger audiences as the, the demographic uh, keeps aging, you know, as it has for, for a number of years. Uh, so to try to win back some of the younger demographic and get them engaged, uh, signing with uh, deals with 11 TikTok influencers across uh, that I know, Ken, you're big on TikTok. 
Um, and, uh, you know, is it, it's one of your things, but it's something that, that our kids are more into quite honestly than, than we are. Uh, and the other is going even younger, uh, the NFL, which had this great experiment last year with Nickelodeon, uh, it was really Nickelodeon's experiment where, uh, they did a wild card game broadcast or playoff, early playoff game broadcast of, uh, of the, uh, that was kid centric on Nickelodeon. So it ran, uh, simultaneously, uh, and was just a, an added feature, a complimentary feature to the, to the main broadcast on CBS. Um, and they brought in all the kind of made kids broadcasts in the game and different Nickelodeon features uh, involved. We also saw baseball do this with the Little League Classic this year, but this was much more dramatic. And so the NFL announced plans they're going to do it again. Uh, and they're also going to uh, the bigger announcement last week was they're going to bring they're going to start a new TV show. Um, uh, you know, now uh, NFL called NFL Slime Time. Uh, on Nickelodeon. That's obviously a kid focus, as you would tell by the main broadcast uh, show. So it'll be a weekly show during the week, uh, each week. And, and so really interesting and just an interesting grab, uh, attempt to grab at least at young fans uh, to try to hook them early. Yeah, I, I think we, I don't remember what setting we were talking about before. It was pre, pre the, the Sports Professors podcast. But the last time the Nickelodeon football game ran, I, mean, I, I watched it cover to cover thinking I was just going to watch it to see what was going on. It was, it was amazing. The stuff that they did and the ways that they drug kids in the slime thing and all, you know, it's so many little gimmicky things that were, I thought were going to be ridiculous. It really seemed to, to work well. And the talent was really, really good in terms of, of delivering it. So, yeah, so that'll, that'd be great to talk about as, as we see how that works, because in the end, the, the business, model which you know pretty clear um and transparent is they got to get the kids in early get them to be fans of the sport so they're lifetime fans and and they spend their dollars on things related to their respective sports no, no question about that so as we come to a conclusion this week uh so a lot of stuff going on in the past great stuff to look forward to going forward uh for ken shropshire this is scott rosser you can listen to the sports professors podcast I'll see you next time Take care. The Sports Professors Podcast is brought to you by Global Sport Matters in collaboration with Columbia University. For more news and to sign up for our newsletter from Global Sport Matters, go to globalsportmatters.com. And for more from the Columbia University Sport Management Program, go to sps.columbia.edu slash sports. This episode was produced by me, Kendall Jones, Manager of Events and Programs at the Global Sport Institute. And huge thanks to our sound designer and editor, Sam Esparza and Big U Music. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crisal Valencia. Our digital communications specialist is Brendan Clean. And our marketing and event assistants are Natalie Skegan, Aiden Corrales, and Kate Nelson. Find more episodes by searching for the Global Sport Matters podcast and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Stay up to date with the Global Sport Matters team by following us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS. <laughs>